You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. I want to look at two questions this morning. And uh, these two questions, I believe, are the most important questions that we as human beings could ask. The first question is this, does God exist? And the second question is, if God does exist, what is God like? I think they're the the most important questions that we as human beings could ask. Now, maybe you've come this morning and you might say, I've got a whole bunch of other questions that I think are more important than that. Maybe about the meaning of life, about your value as a human being, about what you're supposed to be doing uh, with your time on earth, about right and wrong, whatever it might be. I believe the answers to these questions will actually answer the other questions that you may have about life. If we find the answer to these questions, they will have implications for the many other questions about our value and our purpose and so on. So I want to start with a bit of a shocking revelation. I believe that God exists. Okay, that's probably quite a given, given that I'm one of the pastors here. It's probably not a surprise to you that I believe that God exists. But I want to share with you three clues as to why I believe God exists. Three simple clues as to God's existence. And then later on, I'm going to look at If God does exist, how do we know what he's like? The first clue I want to share with you is what I'm calling the cosmic welcome mat. Now, I'm not a scientist. In fact, at school, I was in the top set for science, but I I really shouldn't have been there. And uh, I scraped through my GCSEs uh, in all three of the sciences. But wonderfully, I've married into a family where my wife has got, her father is a, uh, is a doctor of biology and her uncle a doctor of chemistry. And I've sat and talked at length with them, both who are Christians, as to what clues this universe gives us as to the existence of God. And both of them have concluded that the universe seems to be clearly showing us that there is a mind behind it all, that someone has started it all off. And it's not just them, you'll be glad to know. I've done a lot more uh, reading around this and many, many Uh, famous scientists, some of whom you will have heard of that I'm going to mention in a moment, have come to the conclusion that the universe seems to have seen us coming. That actually there was a welcome mat rolled out for life to, to exist. You see, there's certain things that have to be in place in the universe for life or stars or planets or trees or zebras or koalas or whatever to, to be able to exist. There's certain things that have to be in place. Things like how strong gravity is, things like the speed of light and how fast the speed of light is, things like the electromagnetic force and a whole bunch of other constants that I don't really understand, so I'm just sort of saying the ones that I've vaguely heard of and understand here, that have certain values. These constants have certain values. Now, if those values were out by just a fraction, if one of the values or one of the constants was out by just a fraction, there would be no planets and no stars and no trees and no zebras and no koala bears and no us. It seems to be quite clear that the universe has been finely tuned for things to exist. So that would be the first clue that I'd give you. I want to just back this up with a few quotes here. Professor Stephen Hawking, one of the cleverest men in the world, and he's British, and he says this, The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers, these are the constants I've been talking about, the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. 
Fred Hoyle, a British astrophysicist, I don't know what that means, he says this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. So he's saying a super intellect, who many of us might actually refer to as God, has been behind the laws of physics and biology and chemistry. Third quote, final quote on this point. Freeman Dyson says this, The more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe, in some sense, must have known we were coming. So again, another prominent scientist saying, it seems to me that this has been a set-up job. There's something within the finely tuned nature of the universe that suggests that someone was behind it all. It can't have just come to be out of nothing without anyone behind it. This is the opinion of just a few scientists. Many, many, many others would back up these quotes. The ones that would refuse to believe that there is a God behind it all will say this. There must be an infinite amount of universes that are just being churned out all of the time, more and more universes being just set up from who knows where, and we just happen to live in the one universe where life and planets and stars and zebras and koala bears are possible. That we're just very, 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 very lucky. Now, the only problem with this theory, as as interesting a theory as it is, is that there is no evidence for any other universes. How would we even know if we went into another universe? How would you know that you were leaving one universe and going into the next universe? We wouldn't be able to tell. So whilst it's an interesting theory, it's one that hasn't got a lot of credibility among scientists. So it seems to be the case that all of that we see around us has not come into place by chance. Someone um, recently undertook some research to work out how long it would take a monkey sitting at a typewriter, hitting one key per second, how long it would take that monkey to write the full works of Shakespeare. Okay, So they've obviously got a lot of time on their hands to work out that, that kind of figure. So just picture it for a minute, a monkey sitting down, writing on a typewriter, hitting one key per second. Some people have suggested that because time has just gone on, you know, because we were just in an infinitely uh, eternal um, existence, that actually over time it had to have been the case that all of this has come to, come to pass. That because you know, eternity is so vast, we can't even get our heads around it, that actually it's just all come into being by chance. Now, this person gave up halfway through counting how long it would take a monkey to to write the complete works of Shakespeare on a keyboard because it just took them too long to work it out. But they worked out it would take a monkey 12.6 trillion, trillion, trillion years to simply write the phrase to be or not to be, that is the question, from the work Hamlet by Shakespeare. So it would take a monkey that long, 12.6 trillion, trillion, trillion years, to write that phrase from Shakespeare at random, just by hitting one key after another, one key a second. That's how long it would take that monkey to write that phrase. So just look at the person next to you for just a moment. Don't look at them too long. You might make them feel a bit uncomfortable. (laughs) That person next to you is a very, very complex being. Within (laughs) And some of you are going, yeah, they really are very complex indeed. 
that person next to you has strands of DNA within them that make up all that they are. Strands of DNA within them that if you stretched it out and you looked at how many letters there were, you know, DNA with the letters within the DNA, it would be longer than an encyclopedia. Right? So that is how complex that person next to you is. They are very, very complex beings indeed. And so it seems like more than just a stretch to think that if it takes a monkey 12.6 trillion, trillion, trillion years to write simply the phrase to be or not to be, that is the question, that over 600 or however many million years of life on this earth that the scientists would tell us is how, much, uh, how long life has been on this earth, it would seem very unlikely that something as complex as you and I could come to be from a, uh, a pool of mud, that's again what scientists would that's a very simplified form, to become as complex as, I know in a long period of time, to become as complex as you and I in 600 million years, when it would take a monkey to write, to be or not to be, that is the question, it would take him 12.6 trillion, trillion, trillion years. So just, I don't know if that's helped paint a picture of how complex life is here, and how unlikely it is that this has come to be without the existence of a God. So I think that's a clue to the existence of God. The second one is this, the beauty around us. Now, I think this is a point that not many of us have considered before. Why are we moved when we look at beautiful art? Now, many of you, I'm sure, are much more cultured than me. I could look at the Mona Lisa and think, what's so special about that? I don't really get it. Some of us here are much more cultured than me and will look at art and think, wow, it will really move you to the core. Maybe some of you will listen to music, whether classical music or rock or R&B, whatever it might be that you're into, and you think, that has really moved me. Have you ever wondered why it moves you so much? Have you ever wondered why people take pictures of sunsets and stick it on Instagram and Facebook and uh, you know, people click like on it and think, that's an amazing picture? Have you ever wondered why people take pictures of snow-capped mountains and stick them up on their screensavers on their computers? Have you ever wondered why people pay money to go to zoos to look at animals that would, in the wild, kill them. Does that ever, just, does that ever make you think, why on earth do we do that? Does that ever make you think, why, why, are we, why are we so hungry to see beautiful things? Have you ever wondered why people get the travel bug? They go and visit a place, and it's an amazing, beautiful place. And then after that, they, they can not help but try and save up as much money as they can so they can go and visit more and more beautiful places. We have a hunger within us for beauty, and that hunger for beauty doesn't enhance our survival in any way. Okay, so many scientists who don't believe in the existence of God would say, we're simply here to survive. We're simply here to stay alive and to then reproduce ourselves. And they don't really take into account this hunger that we have for beauty. Why are we hungry for beauty? Because a sunset naturally speaking, isn't good news, is it? Because in the dark, we're a bit more vulnerable. If we were thinking about our ancestors, supposedly, in thousands of years gone by, a sunset would have been very bad news because we would have been, you know, there's predators and so on at night time. Or a snow-capped mountain would be a huge obstacle to overcome on our quest for food or whatever it might be. So really, it doesn't really make much sense that we find these things so moving that they move us to the core of who we are. I think it's a clue as to the existence of God. I think it shows us that there is actually a God behind it all who has both made beautiful things and has given us an appreciation for beauty and a hunger for beauty that should actually lead us to worship him as the creator. That actually should ref- it's, it's something that ref- reflects us to him. 
Obviously, many, many people don't see it that way. But I find it bizarre that we, as human beings, have this hunger within us for beautiful things. It doesn't really make much sense to our survival. It doesn't enhance our survival efforts whatsoever. So maybe that's a clue as to God's existence. We're also creative beings. You've ever thought about why do we make music? We're going to hear in a moment a song written by Dan, who's on the band today, and it's a fantastic song. Why do we, as human beings, write songs and write poetry? Why do we paint pictures? Why do we uh, put effort into creativity in our workplaces? It's because we're, I believe, made in the image of a God who is a creator and who is at his core creative. I think this is a clue that points us to the existence of God. The third one is the miraculous. Now, this is one that you're going to have to take my word for. If you're here this morning and you think, actually, I'm not sold on, the, I'm not sold on the, uh, these clues so far. I don't, I don't know if God exists. Well, I have seen in my lifetime, I'm just going to have a guesstimate here and say maybe 50 healings. I don't know. I've seen many people who have been healed and they've not been able to hear, suddenly able to hear. I've seen people who have had to use walking aids to walk, be able to walk without walking aids. There's many other vari- a variety of healings that I've witnessed. And I can't explain those other than to say, I saw that person, that person was prayed for, and then they were made well. I can't explain that. Other than to say, I think it's a clue to say that God exists. And the greatest miracle of all that we're celebrating today, that Jesus Christ was risen from the grave, properly, totally dead, you don't, you don't get crucified by Romans and they do a half job. They, they, were, they weren't sloppy soldiers. In fact, there was a big, it was a big deal if they didn't do the job properly because they would have also met the same fate. If they didn't crucify Jesus properly, they would have been crucified themselves. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead, I believe, is a massive clue as to the existence of God. Now, let's just consider just for a moment the, exist, the, the, resurrect, the evidence for the resurrection. I'm not going to go into it at length. I have done before here. But I want you to consider this one thing. In the first century, in the place where Jesus lived, it was a hugely offensive thing to say that God would have a son and that, that, that his son would be killed on a cross. They were expecting a Messiah, yes. But they were expecting this Messiah... Rightly or wrongly, they're expecting this Messiah to lead them out of Roman rule, to defeat the Romans, to take them into victory, and for their nation to be the most uh, glorious and powerful nation for all to see. That Jesus Christ was claimed, that that he claimed, and that others claimed of him, that he was the Son of God, for him to die on the cross, that wasn't a cool thing to declare, all right? It didn't get you any uh, popularity to declare it in first century Jerusalem, okay? But the facts are that Jesus did die, so no credible historian would deny the existence of Jesus. No credible historian. Every credible historian would say that there was a man called Jesus who lived in Galilee and taught many things. They may, may, or, may or may not disagree uh, on the healing side of things. Fine, get that, understand that. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, they would not dispute that he was crucified on the cross. And then you've got to look at the facts. Christianity rose up at a rapid pace in those early years. Tens of thousands of people in that area and then beyond 
came to be known as Christians, followers of Jesus, followers of the way. It's, it's known that Jesus' followers, again, historically documented, that Jesus' followers, many of them went to their deaths proclaiming him. Even though it was so unpopular, they, many of them went to their deaths proclaiming Jesus. We've got to look at those facts and think, they claim that Jesus came back to life. How can it, have, how can it be that, it, that Christianity rose and grew so rapidly and that his followers gave themselves everything they had to proclaim that he was alive if he did not rise from the dead? I think we have to look at that as a massive clue for the existence of God. So I've looked at a few clues. There's other clues I could give you. The fact that, that nothing physical just comes out of nothing. I think we could be looking at that and thinking, this whole world, this universe, how can it have come from nothing? Because everything physical has a beginning, correct? My children know that. And they're only about three and one. They know that physical things just don't just appear. The fact that we believe in right and wrong, that's a big clue as well, that we hold things to be right and some things to be wrong. I think if there was no God, then I don't think we would have that. The fact that we have a conscience, the fact that we think about the, uh, the implications of our actions, I think that's, again, a massive clue to the existence of God. There's many other things that I could share today, but I wanted to share those three things today. That There is seem, seemingly a cosmic welcome mat laid out for us, that there's beauty around us that we appreciate and that we even ourselves create that seems to point to there being a God who is creative and beautiful at his very core and the miraculous, including most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. So, if I've gone any way to convince you that there may well be a God, how can we know what he's like? We could, look at, uh, we could look at nature around us, and we could glean some things about what God is like from nature. We could see that he's powerful. So we could look at some amazing mountains and think, well, God, if God's made that, then he's got to be pretty powerful to make that mountain. We could see that he's pretty creative, that he, uh, has, he knows... Uh, just a real variety. There's such a variety amongst the, the species of this world and amongst the trees and the plants and the landscapes. There's a real variety. God is creative. So we could know a couple of things about God just from nature itself. But how do we really know what he's like? I suggest, and in fact the Bible suggests, that we look at Jesus himself. That's how we find out what God is like. So I've got a son who's one year old, one years old, and um, he, he's I get told all the time, this is not me being a biased parent here, I get told a lot, he's a handsome boy, okay? So I feel pretty good about that, you know, when they say it. And then the next question that I ask is, well, who do you think he looks like, me or or Sarah, my wife? And invariably, people say he looks just like Sarah. So I don't feel quite so good then. If you want to know what God is like, you need to look at his son. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus that's what the Bible says. The Bible in the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, the son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So any funny ideas that we might have about God, if they're not consistent with what we see and know about Jesus, then they're wrong ideas. The Bible's saying like father, like son, Jesus is like his dad. So I don't know what you think Jesus was like. I don't know if you've uh, studied his life in much depth. I don't know if you've looked at the Bible to see what Jesus was like. Maybe you think Jesus was quite boring. Maybe you think that he was just quite calm and chilled out, never really raised his 
voice, never really got anything. He never really got excited about anything at all. Maybe he was just, you know, maybe you think it was just peace and love and a bit like a hippie, really, before his time. Maybe that's your perception of Jesus. Maybe because the Bible describes him as being sinless, that you don't really know much about him. You think, well, we know what he wasn't. We know he never did anything wrong. But do we know anything about his life to, to really know anything about God at all, other than that God doesn't do anything wrong? Well, I think if you read the Bible in any depth, if you look at the Gospels, these are the biographies we have of Jesus' life in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus was anything but boring. In fact, he was such an exciting person to be around that wherever he went, his friends, the disciples, had to kind of try and be crowd control. They had to try and say, guys, no, Jesus needs a bit of a break here. People thronged around him. And so he was so magnetic that people, some people just wanted to touch his clothes because they wanted just to be near him. He was an exciting person to be around. He was a lot of fun. He was generous and he was kind, but he was also resolute and he opposed wrongdoing. He surprised people all the time. You couldn't predict what Jesus would do next. He was completely extraordinary and yet he looked very ordinary. He was pure but never dull. He was serious and can out-argue any person that would come to him, but never just for the sake of being the winner. The next minute he'd be joking with his friends. He had no failings and yet he was incredibly humble. He made huge claims about himself and yet there was no sign that he was proud or pompous. He turned over tables in the temple and he had very strong words with the Pharisees. You can look in the Bible and he's talking to these religious leaders because they think they've got it all sewn up. They think they've got it together and they think they're a big deal. And Jesus has very strong words with them. And yet you never doubt his love for people. When you read about it, you can see that he loved people. Those that, were, that felt like they were outcasts were accepted by him. Those that had no hope, Jesus gave them hope for a bright future. People who had just been discarded by society, just thrown to the side. He picked them up and took them in. This is who Jesus was. So we want to know what God is like, we need to look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. Of all of the towering figures within history, the ones that have made big ripples within history, Jesus towers far above them. He is the most remarkable figure in human history. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Because his disciples said to him, show us what God's like, show us what the Father's like. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen what he's like. So I want to just quickly show us three things that Jesus shows us about God. The first is this, that God is love. I've mentioned this already, but Jesus throughout his life showed love and compassion to people. He put others' needs before himself. People knew that when they sat in his presence that they were loved. People knew when they sat in his presence they were accepted and valued and that Jesus really deeply cared about them. People who had been rejected by society, misunderstood, maligned, they came to see Jesus as their friend, as their personal friend. People who, for whom before knowing Jesus could have said, I have no friends, I have no friends, they would have said to Jesus, he's my friend, he's my friend. Jesus was showing again and again and again to everyone he met that God is a God of love. 
And on the cross, we see that love magnified more than any other time. As Jesus hung there on the cross, we see God's love for humanity shown for all the world to see. As Jesus took our place. So we all do things wrong. We all fail by our own standards, let alone God's standards. We all get things wrong by the things that we even set for ourselves. And yet we failed God's standards as well. And Jesus took the place on the cross that we should have been in. We should have been on that cross. We should have been taking the punishment for the things we've done wrong. But Jesus took it for us. He showed us the love of God. God sent his son. He so loved the world. He sent his one and only son. We sung this morning about how we would never know how much it costs to see our sin upon the cross. Well, God didn't see his sin upon the cross. He saw his son upon the cross. He saw Jesus upon the cross. God shows us that he is loving through his son, Jesus Christ. We see the justice of God. Jesus was concerned about justice as he walked this earth. People who were poor and oppressed, they knew justice. Jesus was concerned that we who have stuff, are able to share with others so that the poor receive what they deserve, that they receive justice. He was concerned for justice, and he's concerned that we love justice now. And on the cross, we see justice as well, because the wrong things we've done, they deserve to be punished. God doesn't just sweep them under the carpet. No, they have to be punished. And Jesus on the cross shows us that God is just, because Jesus took that punishment in our place. And finally, Jesus shows us that God is powerful. He showed it throughout his life, healing people, even raising some people from the dead, doing many miracles, turning water into wine, walking on water, calming the storm. He showed the power of God through his life. And then on Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, he showed that God was powerful over death. And that death had been defeated as Jesus rose victorious, walking out of the grave. Death had been defeated. He showed the whole world that God has power over death. That we can know hope even beyond the grave. That when we shut our eyes on this life, we can know one day we will be with him for eternity. That death has been defeated. We can know. A friend of mine came to me during the worship times just saying, I feel that God wants to say to us that we can know our slates wiped completely clean today. This is what you can know today. This is the hope. You can know your slate wiped clean. You can know a hope for the future because of the first Easter, because Jesus rose from the grave. So Jesus shows us what God is like. He shows us that he's loving. He shows us that he's just. He shows us that he is powerful. And you today can know the hope of eternal life, You can know today life in all its fullness in this life now, knowing God as your father. You can know it today. And we're going to hear in just a moment a song that these guys have written. Do you want to come and be ready to play for us? I want just to pray now. Should we just bow our heads where we are? We're going to pray. Father God, I want to thank you that today we're celebrating the most incredible event in all of history. That we can know death has been defeated. That there is is hope that goes beyond the grave. Thank you, Father, that uh, 
today we can know our slates wiped clean. I do pray, Lord, this morning that for anyone here who just knows that they need their slate to be wiped clean, they need to know forgiveness, they need to know the mercy of God in their lives. I do pray, Lord, that today you would show that to them. I pray that you would show yourself to them today. You would reveal yourself. Father God, thank you, Lord, that uh, there is no situation in life that is hopeless now because we know that even the grave has been defeated. Even death itself has been defeated as Jesus rose again victorious. There is no situation in life that is hopeless because we have a God who can do all things. We've got, we've a God who's powerful. We've a God who is loving. We've a God who's just, who will always do what is right. So Father God, we just ask now that you would come and help us to see afresh the incredible sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. And the incredible good news that it is that Jesus Christ did not remain in the grave. That he rose again victorious. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father now, making a way for us to know him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.